fortnight and three years ago, there was a demon coming from the darkness. I was so scared by the noise of the sounds that I didn't know what to do. I opened the closet and there it was. Dirty laundry. Oh, that was the intro? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Hi, welcome to Direct a Podcast, a show where directors talk to directors about directing. I'm Kurt Schneider. And I'm Keenan Wetzel. And today's episode is brought to you by the Eightfold Collective and Musicbed. This episode of Direct a Podcast is sponsored by Musicbed. Just like scouting, filming, and editing, having great music should be an asset to your film, not a roadblock. Musicbed is dedicated to making that a reality. That's why they've completely rebuilt their platform of over 650 world-class artists and composers with brand new features, workflows, and checkout process. And with advanced search filters like Include, Exclude, Beats Per Minute, Key, Song Build, and more, finding the perfect song has never been easier or faster. Get 20% off your next license with coupon code DIRECT20. Again, that's direct 20, which is great because we actually have a code. Learn more at musicbed.com slash new. Today's episode, we chat with director and fellow podcaster, Jared Hogan. Jared co-hosts his own filmmaking podcast called Good. You should go check that out if you have not already. Uh, And Jared's had a lot of success in the music video realm. Uh, He's had a handful of staff picks. And he recently just signed to the production company Stink Films. So let's get to the call. Jared, thanks for being with us today. Hey, thanks, guys. Appreciate you having me on. Well, we uh, we like to get right into things here. So, how did you start? How did you start making films? Was that something you always wanted to do as a as a little kid, or was it something that came later in life? Um. Yeah, I think when I was when I was little, I started. Um, I guess just like generally, like getting into um, being creative. I I remember like writing like my eighth grade research paper on wanting to be a cartoonist, <laughs> and so I was like always drawing a lot, um, and that was just kind of like yeah, I was just like always filling my time and sketchbooks and stuff like that with like little doodles, and so I, my brain was already kind of like trending that direction, and then. Um, I remember like, it was like eighth or ninth grade. I had saved up, um, money from like Christmas and my birthday or something. And it was when circuit cities were still around. (laughs) I don't know if you guys remember circuit city, but, uh, and there was like a fire sale, you know, like everything's going. And I, I remember going in with my sister and I bought, um, this like high eight, uh, camera. You know, like those like big, they weren't VHS tapes, but like, um, it was like the step between VHS and like mini DV, high eight tapes. And I, I bought that. It's probably like $200 or something. And yeah, just started making like really stupid videos with my friends. Um, everybody that I talked to always like made cool, like skateboard videos or something. Yeah, yeah us too. everybody, not but that, that we did not, those, but yeah, not, not the case for me though. I, I just like made really stupid, um, like trying to be like kind of funny or like overly dramatic. And I remember before I even got my camera, I was, um, I'm like really 
showing my age here. How old, how old are you guys? I'm 27. Keen's 26. Twenty-six. Yeah, yeah. 26. Okay. So I got a little, I got a few years on you. I just turned 31. Um, oh man. Old yeah, man. So old at 31. But I remember like downloading, um, like old war footage on like Kazaa or like LimeWire. And I would just like edit that together to like really over, over dramatic music. And so, so like all that kind of stuff was uh, kind of got me into, um, yeah, the, like kind of the, the moving image and, and working with that and manipulating that. And, and, um, and then, uh, I was a really bad student in high school and I, I, I didn't get into only applied to like, three colleges i didn't get into the two that were more like kind of state colleges and then i applied to uh film schools it was an art school so savannah college of art and design which is in georgia um and it was the only school i got into (laughs) so that's where i went and uh got a degree in uh film and the rest is history so what 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 was it about filmmaking that interests you was it did you like the the act of creating something and showing it to people and, and seeing their response? Was it just entertainment? Was it just your own satisfaction out of it? Yeah, it's funny. I I uh, so I've got three uh, little girls, three uh, daughters, and um, I went to go. I think it was yesterday, the day before I went to go uh, speak in my six year old's class about like what I do for a living. Huh. And, and someone asked me like, why do you like doing what you do? And I like, haven't thought about that in a long time. Um, but like when I think about starting out and like what kind of like captured my imagination, I think it was, um, I think it was like having, I don't, I don't know, something that, that didn't exist. And then like you could, you could make it exist. <laughs> you know, just the, the act of like creating, I think um, was something that I think very early on kind of captured my, um, yeah, my imagination and being able to like, even, even like when I was editing, like, you know, found footage stuff um, when I was younger, it was like, even if it existed in one form, being able to like transform it into something else, there's something about just like the act of creating whether it was, um, you know, making little movies or even, even when I was like drawing and illustrating a lot. Um, I think, I think that in general was, is something that's kind of like embedded in my DNA is just, um, you know, where something wasn't now something is and something, something about that's kind of like, yeah, always been important to me. When did you realize you could do it as like a career? Cause like, you know, you started off and you're just making films and then when did you realize like I can do this for you know, a career and then, and then eventually like, well, I'm making money doing this. Yeah. Um, still trying to figure that, that uh, part who out. Isn't, you know? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think, you know, when I went to film school, um, it was like, I don't know. I don't think anybody, um, you know, like enters their career and it's like, I want to make commercials. <laughs> I mean, maybe people do now. I don't know. But, you know, like when I went to film school, it's like, I'm going to film school because I'm going to make movies. That's right. why I went, you know. Um, and so I went in very, probably like a little naive that like that would be um, a bit easier than it than it has proven to be. Um, so I went in just kind of like, well, of course, you know, people do this for a living. That's what I'm going to do. And then um, 
basically what happened is I, I went through my four years of college and then, uh, I, this is like a totally different rabbit trail that we can get into if you want, but I, I went, I, I graduated from film school and then I went and worked at a church for several, several years. And, um, it was like, I remember I just felt like it was the right thing to do. Uh, I like ended up run, running like a kind of church media team, uh, for a little bit. And, uh, I remember though, like when I left film school, my professors were like, you know, have you talked to this company or that company? Or like, what's your plan? And I was like, I'm going to go work at a church. <laughs> and they were like, mm-hmm. what? <laughs> uh, but it was, you know, it brought like immediate stability and, um, and also like, I just got tons of reps, you know, just like learning how to like make stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it was, you know, an interesting, um, part of my career, but like, it was like almost like a second film school. So, you know, wh- I got that job and it was like, you know, I could do, I was on salary and I could do it. I can make stuff and, and I was making money in the past, you know, two years, a little bit more than that. Um, I've been, yeah, kind of out doing things on my own. And, and yeah, that question of like making money while doing this has been much more prevalent, you know, something that I'm trying to figure out, like, can I do the stuff that I want exclusively or do I have to like sell my soul <laughs> a little bit or <laughs> so I'm trying to figure that out. Yeah. What was it like going from like a salaried position? Cause I think a lot of kids, at least I know that graduate film school, they think like, well, I gotta go get a job now. And it's not really like that no matter what you do. What was yeah. it like going from, you know, salary to then, to then freelance? Um, in so many ways. Amazing. Yeah. Just like so much freedom you know, um, to really go after what I want to go after, which was, which is making movies. And, um, and I felt like in that job that just like, wasn't something that I could put the time and effort into, you know, to be able to really, uh, chase that down. And so being able to be like my own boss and fully in control of like my, my destiny, um, has been amazing. And I don't, I don't think, I don't know. I can't predict the future, but I can't imagine ever going in to another job where I'm like a real job. I think I'll always exist in this kind of mode. I hope um, where I'm, I'm my own boss and I can kind of like come and go and work on projects. So um, the, so in a lot of ways, the freedom is like intoxicating, you know? Um, but I was just making money no matter how much work I did, you know, like I, some, some weeks would be like really busy. Some months would be like really packed. And then sometimes it would be a little bit lighter, you know, and that didn't affect like the bottom line. But now it's like, you know, if I want to take a little bit of a break, I'm not getting paid for that. Or if I want to go on vacation, I'm not getting paid vacation. Um, or if I desperately need work, you know, there's just no guaranteed money. And that's obviously pretty, uh, you know, it's, that's pretty obvious. Um, that's how freelance is kind of set up, but it's, it's definitely taken some getting used to, to understand that like I'm generating everything, you know? What, what kind of advice would you give to somebody who's maybe currently in a salaried position or someone who's coming up on graduating college and looking to go into the freelance world? I don't think I'm in a position to really give advice. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm very much still trying to figure yeah. The like the business part of this out. Um I'm to be honest with you, I'm very bad at making money. Um <laughs> some people are really good at it. Uh 
I'm not. Um, I, and I don't mean this in like an overly like romanticized way, but like, I'm actually really bad at doing things that I'm, I'm not fully, um, I don't fully like believe in, Mm -hmm. you know? And I don't, I don't mean like, uh, yeah, I don't mean that in like, I'm an artist and I only do this stuff, but I, I mean it in like when I really don't get it and like understand it and fully like get behind it. I, it's hard for me to do a good job. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, totally. And so, um, that makes me like selective in a way that's, um, not always helpful for the bottom line, you know? It, it, it seems though, like when you do get into a project and it's just for me, the outside looking in you, you're a real, like, you know, self-star you're going to, you, you take a project that maybe isn't big and you make it happen or, or, you know, it seems like your passion projects, I'm assuming, or the ones you've poured more into have, have gotten you to where you are. Um, can you talk a little bit about how those have been important to you? The projects that you really believe in? Yeah. Um, specifically passion projects. Is that kind of what you're asking? Not specifically just passion projects, but it seems to me like a lot of the projects that people would know that are listening are probably projects that you took and went above and beyond. Yeah. I guess that's what I'm saying is like, um, that is, I just, I don't know. And I'm, again, this is, I'm not trying to be like, I only do stuff that's amazing. Cause that is definitely not the case. Um, at all. But I, there is like a threshold of like, if I don't, um, feel it, like if I don't understand it or feel it deeply enough, it's hard for me to just kind of like make something for, um, a check. I I've done it and I can do it. Um, but it's, it's a little bit more, I don't know. It just doesn't come out of me very well, you know? Um, and I guess, sorry, what, Maybe rephrase your question. You you seem to pour a lot into passion projects and projects and taking them above and beyond. How important do you yeah. think it is to do those those projects as a creative? Like, how important is that to you? Oh, it's essential. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, for the stuff that is like purely passion projects that I've either put money into or you know, if there's like actually no money involved, I'll you know put a lot of time into. That is the stuff that people um, will reference that do want to pay me, (laughs) you know? So, um, I, I wish that I, you know, I'm, I'm currently trying to get like a dozen things off the ground, you know, um, that I just feel like I need to kind of like get out of me and, and exercise, you know? Uh, and cause I, I know number one that like, I need to like feed my soul (laughs) a little bit. Um, and then also that stuff does turn around and, and turn into paying work. Um, so it's, it's doubly beneficial. Uh, it's just finding the, the means to do that stuff is not always easy. Do you see those passion projects you kind of hint to as an investment? Like when you're putting money into, I think there's a lot of people out there probably listening, like put their own money into passion projects and stuff. Do you see it as an investment? Oh, 100%. No doubt. You know, um, I think that it's like for your career, it's like the best investment. And I would say like, there are some people, I'll be really honest. Like I'm not like pouring thousands of dollars into passion projects of my own. Um, there've been times where I've had to like borrow money or, um, you know, for like a, I had a film that I did a couple of years ago called small little things. And that was more like, I asked some family 
for money and they were like willing to, to, to like, you know, invest in me and in my career. But like, I even, you know, investing time into like really small music videos that, um, that I really believe in, you know, I just did a music video <clears throat> for like sub a thousand dollars, you know, which is like mm-hmm. almost impossible, you know, and having to kind of beg and borrow from friends for like a camera package and lenses and, you know, all that kind of stuff and, 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 uh, other people's time and stuff like that. So, um, it's not just money either. It's also time and, and, um, commitment and, and making things happen. So, um, as for your question, yeah, I think it's like the biggest investment. I don't even know what else you could do. It's always funny, like the projects that um, people do talk about the most, even even clients that like are, reference your work. It's always the work that you do outside of like the commercial system mm-hmm. or outside of like, uh, you know, how a label like runs a music video from like pre-production to post, you know, they always talk about the stuff that lives outside of that process. And then they kind of want to get the same result, but put it through this meat grinder <laughs> of, of like bureaucracy. So it's always funny, funny, like the projects that people talk about and really like a lot are the ones that like exist outside of uh, that process where, you know, you actually make money and get paid. <laughs> So let's talk about the Joe. Is it Joji? Joji, yeah. Yeah, the, let's talk about the the Joji Demons video. How how did that project come about? Um, that was a really interesting one. Uh, trying to think of how much backstory to fill in here. So there's this label. It's actually a very cool label uh, called Eighty Eight Rising, and um, they had approached me. Um, about doing this other music video. Um, it was for, it was for like all these rappers, some of them Asian, uh, Chris Wu, Trippy Red, uh, Rich Brian, Joji. And I think it was produced by Bauer. And so I had like written this treatment. I'd won the project. And then basically it was just getting like really complicated. And I'm on the East coast. I'm in North Carolina. And they were shooting in LA and they were basically like, sorry, dude, like, thanks for all your work, but we have to get a local director to come in and do this because all these different factors at play, blah, blah, blah. Like artist schedules. It was just like, it was really hard to kind of pin down everyone. So they just needed someone local in LA to to do it. So we'd already like established this relationship. um, And they were really cool about like, um, yeah, kind of even paying me for my time, just like all the development that we'd done together. So that was really cool. So I basically was like, hey, like a couple of weeks, months later, I was like, let me know if there's anything else coming down that you guys want to maybe I can write on or whatever. And so they sent me this track by Joji. I never heard of, of Joji or his YouTube channel. Had you guys ever heard of, of him before, Sushi? No. Uh, oh. Yeah, okay. So the story is basically like he has this, character called pink guy and he wears this suit and does all this ridiculous stuff and and he just has like a massive youtube following and so he decided i guess like maybe like a year ago or so maybe less that he really wanted to transition into like doing like serious music um and so he just released his first ep i guess it's probably about eight months ago or something like that and so uh they had this song and they sent it to me and I wrote this kind of ridiculous treatment 
and um, they were game. And, and really like how the idea kind of came uh, into fruition was I, I had a friend named Linda McNeil, who's um, she's in a graphic designer and um, we're friends from uh, SCAD where we went to art school together. And she had like done this 3d render of um, this like character. I think she was doing some kind of like, she was working on some kind of fur texture and how it like moved or something. And I saw it on Instagram and I was like, can you please send me like a high res like image of that so I can like put it in my treatment. I think I want to like build a whole music video around this. And so she sent it to me and then I kind of built this whole treatment around this character. And um, what they had told me from the label kind of like in the brief was that they wanted it to be a interpretive dance and they wanted to, to somehow kind of um, include like water being involved. Cause that was kind of going to be a through line in some of his visuals for the album. And so I just kind of like combined all of those things and, and wrote this treatment and, you know, listening to the song, it was pretty apparent that like, at least in tone that there was like some darkness and some sadness mm-hmm. <laughs> to, um, to the song and, and where it was coming from, uh, from Joji. And it was like really interesting. Um, we can talk about that, like the reaction to it a little bit more later, I guess, but um, it actually all kind of like made a lot more sense after I, I really understood his story. I felt like it was actually a pretty good reflection of where he was at professionally. So anyway, yeah, I, I ended up going to Salt Lake city. Um, it was before I was signed with stink and I was working with a production company called St. Cloud, who's in uh, Salt Lake. And uh, yeah, they produced it and did an amazing job and um, and found this empty pool. I basically was like, I need an interior empty pool. Um, and they found one in Salt Lake. And so I flew to Salt Lake and got uh, Isaac Bauman to come in from LA um, to shoot it with me. And um, there's a lot of stories involved in the production, but it, it came together somehow. And um, I'm really proud of it. Yeah, drop us into a couple of those stories of what the production was like, um, or the or kind of the biggest the biggest challenges in kind of production. Yeah. So one was this was an unused kind of like not abandoned, but just like unused pool that was at this YWCA in um, Salt Lake, and it was filled with, so we shot it in November, like kind of mid November. And, um, they had been collecting all these Christmas donations. And so there was probably like a thousand boxes of, um, like full cardboard boxes of, of donations that were, they were keeping in this pool. And so I was, I was on the ground in Utah for two days. Um, and the first day was kind of like, move all of these boxes (laughs) um so we had like a couple people it was probably like four or five of us moving like a thousand really heavy um cardboard boxes out of the pool slash tech scouting (laughs) at the same time um so that was really exhausting but we we did it and then um we also had uh a girl named um paula um, who is a costume designer. She's at artistry and um, she had put together this amazing costume kind of based on my references. Uh, she flew in from LA as well. Um, 
And uh, yeah, we just were able to kind of like refine that costume. We had like some rehearsals the night before with uh, the performer and uh, yeah, on the day we just were able to kind of like, you know, it's funny. I've talked about this a couple of times, but Isaac um, was really kind of pushing me. He was like, we really need a shot list. Let's sit down together and figure this out. And it was this thing where I, I, I couldn't, I don't know if you guys have had this, this problem before, but I just couldn't visualize exact. I like knew what I wanted, like the image to look like, you know, like I knew what I wanted the setup to look like, but how the camera was going to move through it. I like couldn't quite visualize that. Um, and so on the day, I think we both kind of realized that it was a one take. So that was not really that planned. Hmm, um, so you didn't know that till the day of. Yeah. Um, did you get other coverage then? Yeah, there's a lot of other coverage. I, what I had thought would happen is like we would kind of do some more like sweeping steady cam moves that are about the same pace as that one take was. Mm-hmm. And we would just cut all those together. We actually have a totally different setup too that we were going to do like that was more of like a nighttime setup and we were going to cut to halfway through. Um, and in, well, it's funny because they didn't have money to pay me for post. And so um, I they were going to have someone edit it like at the label, which sounds like the worst idea. Um, and so I basically was like, I just came home from the shoot and I just edited. I mean, it's a one shot, you know, but like <laughs> um, still did post on it and then yeah. sent it over. Cause they weren't even sure that they wanted to be in one take. Um, but I just kind of like did it. <laughs> it was like, we should use this. And they, they were cool enough to do it. How, how did you go about, you know, building your team? for a project like this like how you know what kind of decisions are what circumstances were you like oh i need i need isaac to dp this or i need this costume designer um what are kind of the factors that go into that um research i mean isaac had been talking about doing something to get together for a little bit um and then honestly you know costume and stuff that was like working with a producer to try and figure out who was available and who would do it for the money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, cause it's one of those projects that, you know, you hope and you would maybe like think that people would want to be involved in. Um, but not everybody's down all the time, you know, to like totally. do stuff. Um, but Paula was like amazing and just really, I mean, I remember we, I think we shot it on like a Tuesday, Wednesday. And I remember, being on the phone with Alicia, our producer, who was incredible. And it was probably the Friday before. And we were like, should we just go ahead and call the label and tell them that we can't do this? <laughs> like, that's where we were at. <laughs> um, just like, this is obviously not going to happen. We were calling like costume shops, like in LA and they were like, cool. That's going to be like $8,000 to make what you're asking. And we were like, okay, that's, you know, that's not going, that's not even close to feasible. And so, um, as far as gathering the team, it was asking a lot, you know, and, and I really love working with artistry a lot. They just are like really good people. And, you know, it's not like they're, um, they just, I think they really highly value, uh, like portfolio projects for their, for their roster, you know? And I don't mean that in a way that like, they don't value like their time and like, they don't make sure their their clients get paid. But like, I think like when they realize that like there's a cool opportunity, they're also down to kind of like try and make it work. And that's always been my experience with working with artistry. Um, and that was the case here, you know, like 
it's not like I paid Isaac what he was worth or Paula what she was worth, but they were down to come and make it happen. And so as far as like selecting them, yeah, Isaac was someone that I've been talking to. Paula was someone that was just down to do it. And, and um, her, you know, rep thought that it was like the right project for her and that she'd done stuff that, and I saw stuff in her portfolio that, that made me feel confident that she could do it. And she more than pulled it off. So yeah, it was just a, a process of asking a lot of people, I guess. You talked a little bit about it, but how how did the inspiration behind this project kind of come about? And like, how how you know when you're when you're playing the music video, you've done some a lot of music videos. Like, are you listening to the song a bunch of times? Is there any process you have, or just kind of? <laughs> I um, yeah, it, there's this thing that happens, like this reoccurring nightmare that happens to me, <laughs> where I it actually ends up working out pretty well, but like. I'll be going one direction on a music video. Like, dude, I, I wrote, I was like 90% like in this totally different direction on this treatment where it was going to, I was trying to do like this group of like coal miners and they were all going to have like, like those headlamps on and they're going to do like this orchestrated like choreography with their headlamps, like going on and off. And they're so like, I was like way in this other direction. And then I saw that image of my friends on Instagram and I was like, Oh, and it's, for some reason it just like, I almost like wrote the treatment like in like five seconds in my head when I saw that image, it just kind of something just kind of like mm-hmm. clicked, you know? Um, but yeah, a lot of it is just listening to the song over and over and over and over again. And what I'll usually try and do is like want to listen to the song the first time be in a place where I can take like notes about my immediate reaction to it the first time. Um, because it does become a little bit numbing um, listening to it. I mean, there's there's a music video I'm working on right now that I've, it's a long story, but I've kind of been working on since like January. Um, and I've probably listened to this song like 800 times. You know what I mean? And it's like, I can't even like hear it. My, my ears are like dead to it. <laughs> um, so there's the danger of that, of over listening to it and it losing any kind of like, I don't know, meaning or whatever. Um, but yeah, I, usually I'll just kind of consume myself in the song and try and like know it enough and know like the movements of it enough and um, kind of write from from that. Uh, and that's usually how it starts. And then like the thing that's tough too is um, usually when I have like an initial idea, it's really hard for me to shake that. You know, like when I have an idea that I'm like, oh, I see it like in this world or maybe this is happening or whatever it's very hard for me to like let that go, which sometimes it's not the best idea, but I kind of like can't unsee like that concept in my mind, you know? Um, so I would say it's pretty different with every project, um, how I really go about it. Most of it is sitting in my computer, just like hating myself because I can't think of anything good. (laughs) (laughs) How, how do you balance the kind of the act of doing what's right for the video but then also doing what's right for, you know, your brand and your, your style and something that you're passionate yeah. about. Is it you just yeah. pass on videos that don't fall in line with that? That's definitely a major way of doing that. Um, yeah. The, there's, there's like the economics of my life also play into this, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like music videos don't pay very much. And so, there's like a certain volume that I probably need to like be at to survive. Um, 
so that's that's a real factor um but it's something i'm really trying to to learn like your question is something i'm really trying to figure out and i'm asking myself all the time is um is this something that can live with inside of like what i do best um not in a way that i'm not challenging myself but like is this like something that i can bring value to and like what i do um and um yeah it's sometimes i get overconfident like i just did a really poppy video um and i was like i'm gonna kind of like go into like the pop world and i'm going to make like this crazy video that's gonna be like shocking and it hasn't really turned out that way you know it's it's i lost the battle in some ways of like um I was probably overly confident that I could come in and kind of like apply my stamp to it. Um, and it just didn't really pan out. I kind of like, <laughs> yeah, I just like I lost in some ways. And so I'm trying to figure that out. And then, you know, like I said, I did this other music video that was like very, very cheap where I was able to come in and I felt like I was able to really artistically connect with, with the artist, with the musician, and we we're able to kind of find this thing together. And I think, you know, if there's a lesson that I've learned over the past couple months, it would be, um, and this is like a really fresh one for me. Like, even if I like the song, do I connect creatively with the artist? You know, like, do we, do our brains kind of like align? Does our taste align? And I think I undervalued that. I, th I, I guess I think maybe it was in my head that I could come in and like strong arm an artist that like, I didn't really like see eye to eye with and I could like charm them into um, doing it the way that I want to do it, you know? Um, and I think I'm, yeah, just with like a little bit of experience, I think I'm wisening up a little bit to that, that like, first of all, that's not really like good practice <laughs> for, that's not like a good working practice for a director to, to want to do that necessarily. Um, and so it's become more important to me to like align myself with not just good music or good songs, but also artists that I see eye to eye with um, on like a taste level. So that probably is the biggest way for me to kind of stay in my lane of like what I like to do and what I'm, what I'm good at. Um, and then, yeah, obviously also like just turning down songs that don't fit in like my, my kind of like, I don't know, uh, aesthetic at all. I just, yeah, let, let kind of leave those alone. How, how important do you think, uh, like curation is how much are you putting out? And, you know, I think even like, even graphically the way you do things, you know, on your site or your Instagram or something like that, or your thumbnails, like everything is very curated. How important do you think that is as a director? I don't know. Um, it's funny. I'm actually like, I really hate my site right now. <laughs> like, I just want to do something where it's just like all text and videos pop up. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to figure that out a little bit too. I think I care too much in some ways about some of that stuff. Um, I think presentation is important, um, but I don't know. I, I'm, I'm like very much asking myself a lot of the questions you guys are asking me today. I, I don't know. How's it, how important is it to you? I, it's hard to know, but I feel like uh, a lot of jobs are won on people just thinking the director's cool. 
You know, it's like they're, they're they're buying into you personally versus you know sometimes even the work. So it's I think it's it's very important. I, I you know I think your brand I think people are attracted to or your videos and stuff like that because they have a certain level of style. And it's weird hearing it from somebody else because you you probably don't think that way. You know, it's like I don't know what my style is, but from the outside looking in, you know, I think it is it is important. What do you think, Kurt? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think it is important, but I can also completely agree with what you said, Jared, of like struggling with it because I think it it drives me crazy some days, you know, just yeah. the like the curation yeah. aspect and what do I post versus what do I just experience and am I self promoting or am I just doing what's necessary in this industry? It's like I don't know, it's just it's a it's a very tough battle of um, you know, the line between self-promotion and just like being annoying and like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. cause, and there's so many people out there. I'm like, they just post every aspect of their life and they just, it like drives me crazy, but then I'll do something and I'm like, well, they, I, I kind of just did what they did that annoyed me. So I don't know. Yeah. It's, I go back and forth every day and like wanting to delete all social media, but right. like, it's just like, it feels necessary. It's like a necessary evil. I don't know. Yeah. Instagram can be a depressing thing. Yeah. It's if you're not working and then you go on Instagram and see like, everyone else <laughs> in the world is like a hundred cinematographers are shooting every single day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's an important thing to like, I, you know, I've, I've thought about that because I mean, just to be real, like DPs and directors lives are very different. You know what I mean? And so it's, mm-hmm. And that's, that's something that like being like more all in to like the industry in the past couple of years, it's like, I don't think I quite understood that, you know, like that directors will develop and generate work for like weeks or months, you know, and they'll get on like two jobs and, you know, just the way it works is like DPs can go from job to job and, and, um, you know, like it's just a lot different and it can be depressing when you see people just like on set all the time but the reality of like the director's life and some directors do go from job to job and kudos to them um but that's not my experience you know it's it's uh, a grind of like yeah like really digging in and trying to make things come to life and so um do, yeah go ahead do you ever think it's frustrating to or hard to like get everyone involved on this project that you've been working on for months. It's like you get a guy that's come in for even might love the project, a DP or a production designer or somebody. It's like you want everyone to care as much as you do because you've been working on it for a month and you're going to work on it a month after this too. Exactly. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, I understand the reality of it. Uh, it can be frustrating, but I, I think it's the responsibility of the director to understand that dynamic, you know, that like, um, I think getting people excited about it. It I've been on projects before where I've felt totally um I'm not going to say disrespected, but just kind of like you know, you have a lot of day players coming in that are just like doing their thing yeah. and then they're moving on. And it's something that, you know, you it, like you exactly like you said you put together for weeks and months and you're going to live with, you know, forever <laughs> to some extent. Yeah. Uh and that can be really frustrating when when it doesn't feel like people are like jazzed about it or excited about it. But I think that's kind of like the reality of, I don't know. It's the difference between people who, who, um, you know, direct and people who are 
in a more technical role. I, there's just no way they could get excited about every project that they're on. Right. You know what I mean? It, it, it would be impossible. <laughs> so I have to kind of like remember that, that like, you know, as they're jumping from job to job, as much as it can look like a downside of like, you know, we're generating work for weeks. Um, it's also like, you know, they're, they're on set every day day in day out and that can be draining in its own way you know so i have to be kind of understanding and like empathetic to the fact that um they can't be excited about every single thing to the level that the director is you know so it it is frustrating and it can it can be a little like um heartbreaking too in some ways because it's like i want everybody to be happy (laughs) and like be stoked to be on this project with me but i also like have to kind of understand the reality of it you know yeah as a director, how important do you feel it is, or I guess, you know, how much do you think it matters where you're located? <laughs> Very good question. Um, I don't know, man. That's a really good question. You know, I've had some people, um, people that I respect a lot be like, it doesn't matter at all. You should definitely stay in like North Carolina, kind of outside of the system. <laughs> um and then other people, it's like, well, it would make a lot more sense if you were here in L.A. Um, and so, I don't know. I'm, I have to balance. I have to f- try and figure that out. I mean, for me right now, um, I feel pretty good. You know, I'm like with a really great production company, and I am in North Carolina. And I've and I've um, been able to work out, out of Charlotte for a couple of years. And so, you know, my kids are in school, and my wife is here, obviously, and, and this is home. And so it's not as easy as just like uprooting and going. So that's, you know, another reality is, is, you know, I have a family to consider first. Um, but also I'm like, we've got a lot of space. I have a front yard. I have a backyard. <laughs> I have a nice quiet street. Um, so, you know, I guess if someone could make a case for why it was like so essential to be in LA or New York or wherever, um, Maybe I'd be willing to listen, but, you know, in my life, it seems to be, it's, it's not so bad <laughs> being kind of like detached from, you know, that bubble. Yeah. It, it, well, it also seems like maybe, uh, and this is kind of our case in Detroit, it's like we had a little bit more like freedom to go ahead and be a director right away because yeah. the, we're not one in a million in LA, you know, or, or New York. Yeah. So at least starting out, it seemed like were you able to get more projects off the ground you think because you were in a uh, not a small market but a smaller market oh it's a small market no doubt um and you know the truth is it's not like i'm doing a lot of work in charlotte um you know i'm traveling out for most of it but like when i was working kind of like for an in-house production team like it was like i said i was just getting so many reps you know i was just directing like that's that's really where i learned to like work with the crew and like mm-hmm. that's where i learned to write and that's where i learned like how to develop and how to pitch and um it was almost like i was getting funded to do these small projects you know like all the time and so um i do feel like i slipped in the back door and was able to kind of become a director without anybody like telling me that that was okay um and I feel pretty fortunate about that. You know? Yeah, yeah. For sure. So, you know, you you recently signed with, with Stink Films. Maybe talk a little bit about um, what that's been like, but then also maybe talk about what are some differences that you've noticed 
being repped by a a bigger you know a, a large production company what have been some of the like advantages of that yeah well first it's just been like a massive journey <laughs> um yeah it's it's just I've met with so many companies, exchanged emails with so many companies, been so defeated walking out of so many meetings. Um, so it can appear like it just kind of like happened, but man, it was mm-hmm. the exact opposite. <laughs> you know, like you know, so I, I've had moments like where I've cold emailed production companies that I like would dream of of getting a meeting with, and I have gotten meetings, and I'm like, oh my god, it's all happening, and then I come out of that meeting, and it's like, you know, they weren't mean but it was kind of like we love your work stay in touch (laughs) you know and it's like oh my god and so the first time the first meeting was like oh cool they want to stay in touch and then it was like you know the eighth meeting it's like that means nothing you know um and so just like waves of discouragement and then waves of like encouragement of like okay maybe this is kind of happening but for the most part it was like really hard it was a really really hard process and most of 2017 I was doing everything myself, you know, like self-produced. I mean, I was hiring like local producers or other producers, like, you know, in the area of like where I, w- I would be shooting. Um, but it was like, I was my own production company for the most part. Um, and that was really difficult and not fun. And, you know, even now, you know, I'm sitting in my um, home office by myself and that is more or less like my life, you know, is like, when I'm writing stuff, I'm sitting here by myself and I'm, you know, that's, that's kind of like set the sad reality of like being a freelance director. Um, and that's, that's been hard. Um, and so I guess all that to say, like, it can, it can appear like, I don't know, like, I know I've seen other friends get signed and it's like, Oh man, everything's like up and to the right and, and they're doing great. And that is the like, I, signing with stink has been really great. And I, I can legitimately say like every interaction I've had with them has been so positive and amazing. And I really love my EP and I really love the company as a whole. And I got to meet a lot of, um, uh, the execs, uh, about a month ago when I was in LA and, um, yeah, just like glowing reviews. I couldn't say enough about how much I, I really love being there. Um, but at the same time, like it was just, I knew it was going to happen this way, but like the, the week that it became public that I had signed with stink, it was like, I was like, so in between jobs (laughs) and like, and like had this big dip, like monetarily, like where it was like, I, it's just like funny because I think people are going to be like, man, good for Jared. Like he's like made it or something. And it's like, I'm looking at my bank account and it's like, not <laughs> like it's the exact opposite. Right. <laughs> um, and that, that's, I think that's so like, I don't know. I feel like that's a microcosm of like the industry is, is like looking at people and like thinking one thing, but the reality being maybe another, you know? So I'm so pumped to be there. Um, but also it's been really hard, uh, getting work, like ramping up and, and like really, um, yeah, just winning stuff is so hard. It really is, especially in the music video industry. It's like, you know, in commercials, it's like you're one of three directors for the most part. In music videos, it's like you're one of 15, who knows, whatever the commissioner, you know, wants that number to be. So um, it can be, you know, I, I've been writing with Stink 
since about January. And this is like a sobering number um, and kind of like mildly, it's not embarrassing, but like mildly vulnerable. Like I lost like 10 music videos in a row, you know, just like would spend days writing a treatment and then just like all that time going to trash. I don't, I don't get paid to, to write treatments. Nobody yeah. does, you know? So um, it's been great. I've really enjoyed my time with stink and will continue to, um, but it's also been like equally hard and discouraging and a really, yeah, like windy road getting to where I am now. It seems like from talking to other directors, it's like, yeah, everyone thinks that signing is like the, the, the the best thing in the world and it definitely certainly helps your career but it you, you can nice. never stop it feels nice <laughs> but you can never really stop it's not like well now i got reps and they're gonna get me stuff and all this it's like you're still self-producing projects you're still still yeah. have to find your own clients to a certain extent i mean you, you know totally it's it doesn't seem like it's it's just like well now i've made it it's like never that way in this industry i don't care if you've done like 10 movies like yeah you're still like taking a million meetings to get funding for a movie exactly and, and even like, um, you know, I've got an amazing music video rep, but like the last two music videos that I've done, I, I got through like a commissioner that I had a relationship with and then I got mm-hmm. directly from the artist, you know what I mean? So like, yeah. even until now I haven't gotten anything through that rep, you know? So it's like, there's still like a massive element of like hustle that you, like if you're not doing that, you're just not going to work. That's just the truth. So kind of switching topics. Like what is what are your hopes for the future? You know, what, what, what's the goal? Do you want to do more commercials? Uh, I mean, probably, you know, features at the end of it, but like, what's kind of the hopes? No, do not features at the end of it or features, features tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't, there's this weird thought that like you have to wait for someone to give you permission to do features. And to some extent, obviously money is, mm-hmm. that is probably true to some extent with money. But, um, I just, I don't know. I, there there seems to be this like uh prescribed path that like you do this and then you do commercials and then if someone thinks you know you're good at like you're good enough or whatever you get to make movies and yeah i just i don't really I, I don't buy into that and you know obviously i never made a movie so who knows what the path will be for me but i think for that to be like the determined path of every filmmaker is is bogus and so um yeah i hope to be making movies really soon i'm trying to shoot a short uh this year um the next couple months that'll hopefully like um you know the goal is for that to kind of lead directly to a feature idea um and kind of be like proof of concept so um i think that's what i want to be doing man you know and i like making music videos i really do um and i get a lot of um i don't know like creative like fuel from from doing music videos mm-hmm. um but you know like i said i when i went to film school it wasn't because i wanted to make commercials or even music videos i, I went because i love movies and that's what i want to be doing so um yeah i'm i'm currently like filling out like a billion grant applications and trying to get like scripts finalized and all that kind of stuff so i'm you know i'm just trying to hustle and make stuff happen so that's 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 the goal, man, for sure. What what kind of what kind of genres are you most interested in? Um I don't know. I've got two projects that I'm trying to kind of get off the ground. One is kind of like this historical like period piece thing. Um 
that would yeah i guess it would be kind of like border on like drama mm-hmm. and then one is this kind of like thriller horror kind of like uh project as well so um yeah i, I kind of probably lean that direction a little bit not like I, i'd just be like a straight up horror director but um that uh, for some reason like my i've seen like my visual language kind of like um i don't know kind of be like magnetically drawn toward those kinds of images and themes and stuff so i'm trying to figure all that out but that feels kind of right for the moment yeah no i mean i think that'll that that aligns with what we've seen in your videos i I was just you know i was curious like with the with the music videos how much that informs a director's path of where they'd like (laughs) to go from a narrative standpoint yeah it's funny because i i definitely i'm sure you guys are the same way but you know like i kind of have these images that like i can't shake until you kind of make them you know like you just have these things that you just like want to like create and kind of get out and it's funny if you look at my treatments like you know the ones that like haven't taken it's like you can see a pretty common thread of like what i want to be making at that time you know (laughs) and they definitely it definitely informs my my treatments and like where i'm kind of trying to take music videos too is like trying to kind of yeah exercise some of those like images in my brain that like they like won't loosen their grip <laughs> um so yeah it's uh i've been trying to do like a handful of things over and over again and that's maybe why i'm not winning music videos <laughs> i don't know well jared we we like to end every episode by asking everybody what what advice they would give to you know a young filmmaker is just coming out or maybe advice that that you would give to you your younger self when you were just getting started out something, something you've learned yeah. along the way that you just really wish you would have known back then. Huh? Um, just make a lot of stuff. You know, I think it can be because everything's so visible right now. And like everybody has a Vimeo account and Instagram. There's like not enough, like, and like, anonymity to kind of just um learn you know and make bad stuff for a while right uh and i think that's where like my time working at the church was like so instrumental for me is like i was able to just like disappear and like make a lot of stuff some of it good some of it really good that i'm really proud of and some of it really bad that i would never show anybody um so i think giving yourself permission to just experiment and make stuff and be bad for a while would be a big piece of advice. There you have it, guys. That's going to do it for this week. That was Jared Hogan. Hope you guys enjoyed. Uh, I thought that was one of our best episodes to date. So, um, yeah, thanks for tuning in. We will see you guys on the next episode. We're going to be doing a lot more. We've got a lot of directors lined up. So, yeah, just stay tuned and hit us up on Instagram. Follow us at Direct Podcast. Send us some directors that you would like to hear in the show, and we will see if we can wrangle them in. Until next time, bye.